the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. With all my heart, my friends, I, I declare to you the truth. The grace of Lent is upon us. I say that again to you. The grace of Lent is upon us. And any of those who have journeyed through Lent with one another and with our Lord, any of you that have even slightly pressed into them, you know exactly what I'm saying. There is a unique grace given to every Christian in Christ. A unique grace for profound healing that can be done in this blessed and holy season. Ash Wednesday begins that season. Ash Wednesday sets the framework and the disposition of every Christian and offers us gifts from God to be partakers of the grace that he gives for this holy and divine season. And that's what we're here to receive this evening. In the Mass of Ash Wednesday, every year, we hear the words of the Lord through the blessed prophet Joel and chapter 2. And the calling of God is this, that you heard read, and it begins midway through the second chapter of the prophet Joel. The call to us, the call to us in Lent, and indeed every day of our Christian walk is, return to the Lord your God. The call of God, the invitation of God for us to return to Him in any way, shape, or form that we've turned away from Him. Return to Him. But if we look at the very beginning, not midway through the second chapter, but the very beginning of the second chapter of the prophet Joel. This message, this invitation of God, return to the Lord your God. It begins and it is sounded and it comes to us in the form of an alarm. Listen to the words of God through the prophet in verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. What is the trumpet blast? What is the alarm that sounds in the wisdom of Christ here on the very first day of Lent to draw us near to him, not to scatter us? What is the trumpet blast that calls our attention to Christian sober living before Christ? The trumpet blast, the alarm is this. Our mortality. Our mortality rings out this night. I look on every one of your foreheads. And our mortality is very visible. We don't put ashes in the form of a cross on the foreheads of people for no reason. What is this? Our mind. Our thought life. When the ashes go upon the forehead. It is the great reminder that we are to live every day with our mortality on the forefront of our minds. And my friends, this mortality is considered blessed by the church. Considered a gift of God by the church. 
And I get asked a lot of times whenever I say that, I'm try Father, I'm trying to comprehend that. How is our mortality to be blessed? How is it to be a gift from God? I want to give you two teachings of the church. The wisdom and the heart of God that our Lord has revealed to the church on how our mortality indeed is blessed and very needful for us, a tool for our salvation. And the first thought is this. Our mortality, if, if we will learn to attend to it, it will keep us honest and authentic before the Lord our God. One day at a time. And one day only. Walking in the grace of the Holy Spirit that we have been given to live that one day as if it were the only day guaranteed for our entire life. Knowing that the next day, or maybe even later that day, we may be before the judgment seat of God, the perfect judgment seat of Christ. And you can bet that if we truly lived our lives with mortality on the, our mortality, on the forefront of our mind like this, we would live a much different day than we typically and currently live. And it would lend itself to the far greater experience and the love and the salvation of the great and living God who wants to draw us to himself by placing our mortality before us. So that at the end of day, if we lived like that as if it was the last, working with the grace of God within us to be faithful in whatever Christ wants, this day is yours, Lord. It was never mine to begin with. To live one day attending to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit within us, not counting on another. When we go to bed at night, our blessed heads would lay on the pillow with such peace and such joy and contentment. With far less regret and burden of conscience. Because our mortality drove us into our loving God on that day. That's one way the church teaches us that our mortality is blessed. Here's the second. Our mortality is blessed. It's considered a gift of mercy to God's people in the church, by the church. How is our mortality a gift of mercy? The fathers teach this. They say consider the truth and the reality. That when mankind fell from God and lost union with God, and lost the paradise of that blessed fellowship and union in that place where we could have that union with God. We lost the connection to life himself. We were now separated from the one, not who bestows life, but who is life. And this is why death entered into the world. And my friends, why is death a mercy? Because if there were no death accompanied with separation from God, then we would spend eternity separated from God. Death has become a mercy, even for us Christians who are now filled with the Holy Spirit to begin to walk and experience in that blessed fellowship and union with the Lord our God. This life is still living in the now and also the not yet. 
Because we press through in this wilderness of life, being led by God, by His Holy Spirit. We have to press through our flesh, our brokenness. We are on the path of healing. We are not near there yet. And so as St. Paul says, our life in Christ, in this life, it is a fight where we wrestle with ourselves to keep ourselves into Christ. You've heard me say so many times that the greatest struggle of the Christian is not against Satan. The greatest struggle of the Christian is to remain in Christ. And we wrestle in our minds and our thought life and we wrestle with all of our lack of order and disorders to press into Christ each day. And it is work and it is tiresome. And the church teaches us that mortality is a mercy even to us. Because mercy grants us that day that if we will remain in Christ, it grants us the day when we fall asleep in him that we get released from this struggle. And we enter into that place in eternity where we experience him not in part, but we experience him in the full. Not fighting through the flesh anymore, but released into his blessed presence. Where he lives with us daily and we will see him for who he truly is. And he will feed us from himself and he'll wipe away every tear from the struggle that we have. You see how our mortality in as Christians is a mercy for those who live and dwell in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our mortality is one of the greatest gifts, my friends, that we have been given by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the discipline of keeping before it, one before us, one of the greatest gifts that we're given. And if we use it rightly, it will drive us into the arms of the one who is mercy. Always. So that we can experience the divine healing power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And find that mercy and covering and the transformation, the release from the burden to conscience. We can live with our mortality before us. Or we can live in the deception, and I'll call it the satanic deception, that we have forever to repent and enjoy God on the side of the veil. In which case, when we live that way, you and I know this because we all do in certain ways. When we live without our mortality in front of us, thinking we've got this day and that day and such in the future, it is a life of diminishing returns in the kingdom of God. And our Lord wants to flood us with the blessings of who he is and every benefit of his kingdom. This is the framework we begin Lent with. It's the splash of cold water. It's the alarm to wake us up out of our spiritual slumber so that we run to Jesus, the lover of our souls. Now, after, through Joel, God calls his people to return to him. I want you to hear something that God says through Joel. We hear words regarding the corporate aspect of what we're about to go through. The same thing he called his people to back then. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. What are we talking about? What are we seeing corporately here? God says for the people to consecrate a fast. That word consecrate, never forget what that means. 
Consecrate means to set something aside entirely for God's holy use. That through that which we set aside, He will take it and through that do the wonders of salvation on behalf of man. And what are we told to consecrate? Consecrate a fast. We will fast together. This fasting will be an offering to God. We will separate this fast unto Him, that He will take the offering of our denying ourselves things we once thought we need but really didn't. And He will grant us grace through that consecrated fast to put aside every enticement that draws the soul away from Him. Consecrate fast and walk in it together. And then He says, Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. My friends, do we not increase our times of prayer together in Lent? We add two Vesper services. We do the discipline of the way of the cross. The stations of the cross. And we come together not just to check things off. We come together in fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Lord our God. Time with Him to pray keeping our mortality before us, that He would call us to Himself and we would respond and experience Him. To what end? It says, sanctify the congregation. Sanctification is the end. And what is that? Sanctification means to be made holy. That by the experienced fellowship of God with one another, through one another, and directly with Him, by that fellowship, we become holy as He is holy. And my friends, that is the only way that we enter into the contentment God has created for us. That we truly become the truly created human person in His image and find the rest in our souls. And the final reminder that we are given through the prophet Joel on this night. Is with all of these things, our mortality before us, driving us before the presence of Christ. We are reminded of the nature of the one who we're coming before. Listen to the words of God through Joel. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and mourning, so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. How do we come to Him? We rend our hearts. But what does that mean? What does it mean to rend our hearts rather than our garments? I'll tell you precisely what the Father's saying means. When we go before God, He illuminates us with the disorders within us. The frailties and the brokenness and the wounds within us. It is made known. And we see it clearly, so that we will be driven to offer it to Him, that He may put His hand of healing upon it and take it away from our lives. When He illuminates the brokenness within us, my friends, you need to understand this rending of the hearts, because it means this, to take on the heart of God over your brokenness. To take on His pain over the suffering your brokenness causes. The great compassion that moves him to action. We are not, we don't have our weaknesses and our sins illuminated. So that we place our own thoughts about what we're seeing. 
We will always do the wrong thing with what we see. Or Satan will step in and create shame, which is never of God. When we see the things that are broken within us, we are also given the grace to have the same sorrow about ourselves that God has on us. The sorrow of love. The sorrow that can't stand to see his sons and daughters suffering because of a brokenness he never intended. And so with that blessed sorrow, we rend our hearts. We join him in that sorrow and offer ourselves to him for healing. And what's his nature? Always to those who come to him, led by the Holy Spirit. He is limitless in mercy, gracious, slow to anger. This is who we come to. My friends, I'll tell you this. When I first came into orthodoxy is when for the first time in my Christian life, I even thought about the whole season of fasting and spiritual disciplines. And I tell you that when I first came into orthodoxy, my flesh reeled against all of these things. The fasting and the weakness and the being tired from time to time and my stomach being aggravated. My flesh reeled against it. But as I pressed in with the help and guidance of others and the Holy Spirit, I tell you this today. Every year now, I long for the season. Why do I long for the season? Because God has graced it and the fellowship that we have in this blessed and holy season that can impact the rest of our days on this earth is granted to us by his love for us. So how will we walk? Now, you're going to go home and you're going to shower and the crosses are going to go. Will you keep your mortality before you in this holy Lent and let it and the Holy Spirit within you press you into the God of divine healing, transformation, and salvation? Healing is relational, not a contract. If you will move to him and let mortality be a gift to you, you will experience Christ in a way that you've never imagined before. He promised it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.